What's up, everyone, and welcome to the School District Podcast. My name is Adam. Welcome. This is my podcast. I'm the host, and I really hope you enjoy all the conversations I have with educators all over the world. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and share your favorite conversations with colleagues or anyone you think would enjoy. If you're looking for a book to read, I've written four Kids Deserve It, Run Like a Pirate, Empower Our Girls, and Teachers Deserve It. As you can imagine, they are all available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. And if you'd rather listen to the words than read them, Kids Deserve It is also on Audible as an audiobook. And if you're looking for a keynote speaker for some professional development or a kickoff with your staff or a conference, I would love to work with you. I've given well over 300 keynotes all across across North America with breakout sessions, coaching, leadership strands, ed tech, you name it, and I would love to work with you. You can email me directly, adamwelcome at gmail.com, or you can go to my website, mradamwelcome.com, for more information about speaking and also my other podcast and blog. <laughs> PJ Capozzi, welcome to the podcast, man. Excited to be here, Adam. A uh, long time coming. It's been a long time. I don't know if you remember, we've met in person at the old ICE conference. It's now IDEA. Bro, I don't know, like six, seven years ago. It has been a long time. So it's uh, it's good to chat with you again on the podcast. I think there's probably maybe only two or three people out there that don't know who you are. So for those two or three people, man, give us some background. Tell us who PJ is, who you are, what you've done, and kind of uh, what's next. Sure. Uh, so I'm superintendent of Meridian 223 in Northwest Illinois. It's a pre-K through 12 uh, district, small town rural. Ask people around here, they'll tell you it's it's agricultural based and you got a lot of farmland, but not a lot of farm kids, if that makes sense. We're more of a bedroom community. Uh, before here, I was the high school principal in Oregon, Illinois, which is kind of a neighboring district from here, which is also small town rural, which would make one think that that's what I kind of set out to uh, do in my career, which is 100% not accurate. So um, <laughs> I wanted urban education uh, badly and uh, probably will still find my way back there, I think. But uh, entire to my teaching career was Chicago Public uh, when I became an administrator. That, so Chicago Public is one of the, the districts where you have to live in district even to teach, but uh, nobody really cares for teachers. So everyone kind of uses different people's addresses, but for administrators, they certainly care. <laughs> and uh, so I moved to Rockford, which was the second largest urban system at the time to get my first admin gig. Uh, ended up getting divorced. My ex-wife moved back to the burbs, which is where we we're both from, this uh, Chicago suburbs. And Oregon is like halfway home um, from where she was at to with the kids to where I was working. And I'd never been to to Oregon and had driven by the exit sign a hundred times, but there's not even a gas station on the exit sign. So I'd never even pulled off, <laughs> And uh, but it came open and I applied there. And that's what kind of started the admin career. Um, admin career started off super rocky as a principal. I was terrible at it, um, leading to like a student walkout, legit student walkout and protest. Wow. Uh, and kind of had a, a really nice reclamation project and, and changed a lot about how I led um, a little bit about who I am. And so that kind of started the writing and speaking thing, kind of that journey from being uh, pretty, pretty vilified in, in the district to then, you know, when I left three years later, everyone was in tears. So had a nice little trajectory to that story. And that kind of launched the whole other side of my career, right? Because got the, the nine to five and being a superintendent, but um, 
I, I, I like to joke, I've got like four and a half full-time jobs. I've written, there'll be 11 books in 11 years. I teach at three universities. I coach 15 clients and I speak about hundred days a year. So um, stay pretty busy, but that's, it all kind of started with uh, kind of ironically of being terrible at being a principal my first year. Yeah, well, sometimes that's the best way to start. And then you totally realize you're like, I have to shift my thinking and uh, I have to do it differently. So how do we make being an educator sustainable? And I feel like for all educators, classified, certificated teacher, principal, superintendent, I just feel like I see so many things and it's this sprint and it's this race. And, you know, like, how do we just make it where people can can do a really good job, but they want to keep doing it and they're happy and they're healthy and they're not trying to keep up with all the things, but also keeping up with all the change that we have in our world. Yeah, I think it's an interesting combination of um, understanding like that it's the most important job in the world, in my opinion. That's why I love it. That's why I'm jacked up to get get up each morning. But also that on the daily basis, it's not all that important, right? Like I think people live and die with every decision, with every mood swing of a, of a kid, with every new mandate that comes down. Um, and in the giant scope of things, um, especially from the superintendent lens and being able to kind of see it from that 20,000 foot view and then interacting with kids. And one of the favorite things I do is exit interviews with all of our seniors. You know, it's never that one lesson, man, that kids care about. It's the it's the people that have, have touched them, the people that love them, the people that take care of them when they're down, um, that aren't so, you know, bogged down in the moment to realize that they have a really interesting teachable moment, or they're not so consumed with what's going on in their own head that they don't recognize the kids not being the same that day. Um, a lot of stuff that you wrote about in, your, in the Kids That Serve It book, um, like that's what people remember. And um, I think part of that is incredibly liberating, right? That not everything is, you know, this, this emergent thing that has to weigh us down. Um, but that also is like the confounding part of the job is like, but it might be right. That might be the day that might be the conversation. So for me, uh, you know, and it sounds very cliche and motivational speaker, but like the why is bigger than the why not, right? Like mm. every day we have this awesome opportunity um, that fires me up and that fires me up more than making sure we get through a curriculum or get a test score or whatever, you know, the thing that we're going to focus on du jour is and whatever XYZ district is to me, it's, and I think we kind of all know that like in our soul as educators, like what's really important. I think we can just do that and be pretty proud of the job we're doing while obviously pushing kids to see themselves greater than they currently are. Um, and that we maintain that vision of ourselves as well, that we're not finished. And we're going to continue to see ourselves greater than we currently are. Yeah, no, 100. Well, what do you what do you look for in potential educators? And I'm thinking about this from like the pipeline standpoint. How many classified, you know, para educators do we have that should be in the teaching pipeline? How many of the teachers in classrooms should become, you know, get in the admin pipeline? How how do we build that pipeline? I mean, what are you doing? Like, what do you think we should do? Because I feel like I feel like there's so much untapped potential in there. And I've read the numbers. I'm sure you have. There's a huge deficit in just educators and admins in the next 5, 10, 15 years, all the retirements that are going to happen. You know, we have to do something about this from the country to like state to the local level. What are, what are your thoughts about that, PJ? Yeah. So I think I'd start with saying that um, as leaders, like I have. We have to focus on retention first, right? And then we can get into the recruitment because if we're not treating the people we have well in the first place, then no matter what we do to recruit new, it's gonna it's gonna be 
uh, an unsustainable solution. So start, I think, by knowing, honoring, valuing your people uh, and making sure they feel that. Once we get past that, which like that's a big old hurdle, right? Because a lot of people, that's not how a lot of leaders operate. Once we get past that, I think, um, and this is probably an unpopular answer. Um, so I hesitate in saying it, but it's 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 my truth, at least. Like we got to change how we're talking about education um, in the standpoint of like, we were joking before the podcast started. So kind of behind the scenes about, you know, Adam's like, yeah, we'll just jump in because you've been on a hundred podcasts. Like I am. And like, everyone wants to talk about burnout and attrition and how hard education is. And like, all of that may be true, but like when that's all we talk about, we're not making the profession seem very sexy, right? Mm -hmm. Like not, that that's not a recruitment tool. And so like, if we sincerely believe that the job is as amazing as I believe it to be, then we probably should talk about that too, right? Like, and talk about that moment that we had with that one kid or that as a leader, the moment, you know, like there's something like, profound and magical and almost spiritual about when you have that conversation with a kid who is 14 years old and lost and you help them find their way. But I'll tell you that as a leader, that same conversation with a 40 year old man or woman who's been stuck and is unhappy where they find their way is equally as intoxicating. And so like, for me, like, again, I, I say it a lot, like, I think we have the best jobs in the world. I don't think we do a good enough job selling it. So no matter what we do in terms of pipelines and scholarships and, and those things, I think we like have to look internally, collectively as a profession about how we're talking um, about what we do. And then once you do that, like there's a whole bunch of systematic inequities in terms of pay, and we can, we can lament all of those things, which are true, but um, and and do need fixing. And that's why you know I spend my time in Springfield and DC and lobbying and doing those things. But um, for for me, like I think what we can control is how we talk about our profession, which. I love dearly and I, I hope other people do as well. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree with that, how we talk about it. I can remember when I was a principal and I would tell teachers, yeah, you, have you thought about being an administrator or being, you know, being, you know, getting into school leadership and like, oh, no way. I would miss the kids and I don't want this and I don't want that. And I'm like, you know, you've been, you've been lied to because let me just tell you what it's like. You've seen me in action, but let me just tell you what it's like. So we do have to do a better job of, uh, of, of branding what it is. So. I'm I'm curious. I'm curious who you are learning from right now and where you are finding people. The origin of you and you and I, PJ, is Twitter. We knew each other. We connected on Twitter. We connect in person uh, at a conference. We have each other's cell phones so we can call or text. Right. We've taken taken that initial relationship over the last decade to what it is now, but. As we know, social media is not what it used to be. Twitter is not what it used to be. And I'm thinking about this constantly, like where am I finding new people to learn from, to connect with? So who are you learning from and where are you finding these people to really broaden your scope? So you're not just living in this tunnel. And these are the people that I've always learned from, like, you know, bringing on new ideas and new perspectives. What does that look like for you? Yeah, so I would say from the networking side, uh, it's interesting because I'm all over the place, but I'm a dramatic introvert. So uh, <laughs> the, the normal ways where people network are terrifying to me. Um, and so it's actually much easier when my wife is around because she's like, you know, you have to go do this. Um, <laughs> and so like I can go do it. But like um, there's nothing worse in the world and you do it all the time and you do it brilliantly. But like book signings are the worst. Like I, there is not a more awkward time in the world for me. Um, so all that to be said, like I, I do better in structured environments where I can either engage with people one-on-one, -on -one, like I reached out to you when you were kind of at the absolute probably pinnacle 
of popularity and you could not have been kinder and nicer to me. And I found that to be very true for most educators. I won't say all, and we can talk offline about a handful of them that aren't that way, but for most everyone is super cool. Um, so for me, I read a ton and I listen to a ton of podcasts. And then if I find someone fascinating, I reach out to them and, and connect. Um, I'm also a part, there's a, there's a bunch of different organizations that I could shout out, whether it be ASCD or IDA or whatever those happen to be. The one that's most um, near and dear to my heart from the superintendency is one called the Institute for Ed Innovation. Um, and they um, have kind of created like a, a cohort model of superintendents that have a couple conferences a year that I have found to be fascinating uh, in terms of connecting that way. I also try to do a ton of work outside of education, um, just simply because we can become an echo chamber to ourselves. Um, and so getting feedback from people that might be engineers or doctors or ed tech CEOs, whatever the case is that just see the world a little bit differently is oftentimes kind of mind blowing to me as to, well, of course, right? But like you get so, it becomes myopic in terms of the lens. Um, so for me, a lot of times it's intentionally finding people and cultivating relationships that are with leaders that aren't necessarily educational leaders that help to shift how I, how I view the world a little bit, which allow me to attack problems then in a different way. Yeah. So next question, taking it in a different, in a different area. I feel like kids are such that they've become in, indoor kids and, you know, we have, we have AI, like, what is that going to do to the world? We don't know. We have, we have video games, you know, we have all these things that, that keep kids indoors. And I want to talk about getting kids outdoor more. Like, how do we get kids more experience outdoors, outside of school? If you have, ask my children, I have a sixth grader and a fourth grader, like what they remember most from school. My sixth grade daughter will say in fifth grade, they went to outdoor education camp for an entire weekend. She can talk for like three hours straight about her experience or this field trip they went on or my son's in the garden working and they're doing this and they're doing that. I know the world that we live in is technology based and there's all these different things, but I feel like the things that kids remember actually happen outside of the classroom and outside. How do we get more experiences for our kids? Like, what would you tell teachers? You're like, hey, you should do these things because these things are happening to our kids, which is going to benefit them when they come back into the workforce. Yeah, I mean, so like my district is super fortunate because of our FFA and egg program mm -hmm. that we get to, we bring a lot of experiences almost to our kids, right? So we'll do a full like petting zoo on our elementary lawn the last week of school because we're able to in our community and provide those types of things, um, which is which is outstanding. And to be honest, like, like that has literally 0, 0.0 to do with me. That's just kind of the way it's been here <laughs> and the way it's it's done. I just, I just celebrate it, right? Like yeah. it's it's not... Um, as a result of that, but I think it's something that we lose sight of. And it kind of goes back to my, uh, the thing I said earlier, like if everything's important, nothing is important, right? And if if as a soup, all I care about is trying to get that 1.2% extra on a standardized test, I might see that as a waste of time. Um, one of the things that we're, we're like our book study that we've done as a leadership team this last semester and that we're gonna do as a school, um, and you know this, we used your book when you're, um, to give to every staff member that walks through the door on opening day, uh, we're doing the power of moments by the Heath brothers. Hmm. And um, it's a really interesting read as to like how we can shift people's view of, of entire situations based on outlier experiences and moments that we can, we can systematically create for people. And so when you talked about those, like that, that was an artificially created weak moment that has touched your, your daughter forever. Um, and so I think we can be more intentional about what we're doing in, in areas like that. 
I also kind of cringed when you said it because there's a world famous outdoor camp that's like the, in the neighboring district from us um, that we don't go to anymore for a myriad of reasons. And as you said that, I was like, oh man, I got to revisit, I got to revisit Loudon um, and, and try to do a better job. So you guilt, like, I feel like the Loudon people called and like guilted you into, into saying that. So now, now you got my mind racing. Yeah. Um, no, they didn't call me, but I mean, I think about when I went to sixth grade camp, I, I remember that I grew up very close to the John Muir house, John Muir, you know, the very famous uh, naturalist. And we spent the night at the John Muir house. And I know you can't do this every week. I know this is not feasible in, in all places, but, but just getting those experiences, like even just outside of the classroom on campus or on the yard to your point pj kids just kids remember that and they take they take something from that in in, in what they do next uh, so speaking of books what is the title of your next book i know you got one dropping in august tell us about it tell us what it is and who it's for yeah i'm super excited it's called cracking the coaching code um so one of the biggest regrets of my professional career is that i went into administration so quickly i never got to really coach um, in the, the athletic sense as much as I, I wanted to, um, because I, like many of, I think adults and students alike, when I think of the people that have been the most impactful in my life, a handful of coaches immediately pop to, to mind. Now, the downside of that is that some of them were in a negative light, right? They were impactful, um, but not necessarily uh, people I look back to uh, upon fondly. And so when I think about that from my lens as a superintendent, um, knowing we know this, right? Like we know that coaches have this this disproportionate impact on kids. And when I do my exit interviews with kids, they share that with me. Um, and then I think about how we hire them and then how we train them. And it's like, oh, great. You played college baseball. Great. Uh, nothing on your criminal background record. Good. Here's our kid. <laughs> right? And then, then we send them off. And then we may send them to a conference or two to learn X's and O's, but we do very little in terms of leadership training for them or professional development. Um, it just becomes an afterthought, which is just an, like a complete market inefficiency in terms of how we do business as a school but also a market inefficiency in terms of professional development and writing. And so um, one of my, my best friends in the world is a doctor, um, not in education, and he's a board member, but uh, different, different district, but not in education directly. And we talked about this a lot and we are both um, heavily invested in Enneagram, the personality profile. Mm -hmm. And um, it's impacted us both really favorably in our professional careers, both um, directly in our profession, then both in our like executive coaching roles that we we use. And so we kind of constructed a book um, based around our stories and experiences that we had in athletics, both as coaches and as athletes um, around Enneagram. And if basically leveraging, if we understood and coaches understood personality archetypes, that there's this opportunity to really connect much more deeply with, with athletes and to understand in the same way that I think educators might know intuitively and might know through, through training is that like you can't communicate to every kid the same way and expect peak performance or optimum results. And so we try to break that down for them in a, in a pretty interactive story-based way. I dig it. So that book is coming out in August. Yeah. Should launch on Amazon for pre-order here in the next couple of weeks, uh, published through Roman Litterfield. Um, pretty excited about it. Perfect. Everybody check the uh, description. There will be a link to, uh, to pre-order PJ's book in, uh, in the pod podcast description. PJ, if you could choose one person, alive or dead, to spend the day with who is not a family member, who would it be and why? Hmm. Oh, wow. Um, so I've heard this question a million times. I, I don't think I've ever actually been asked it. Um, 
so I, I the not a family member keeps going because I never got to know my grandfathers very well. Mm -hmm. So that's where initially my head went. So give me a second to process through. Um, holy smokes. All right, give me yours real quick to fill some time, Adam, while I'm thinking through <laughs> that air. <laughs> Um, I would love to hang out with Admiral William McRaven. So he gave a very, uh, very well-known uh, commencement speech at the University of Texas titled 10 Ways to Have a Better Life. He's written numerous books. He was in charge of all special operations for uh, our country, Navy SEAL, for like 37 years. He was in charge of the bin Laden raid, Saddam Hussein, Captain Phillips, the Somali boat pirate. And I've just listened to a ton of podcasts. Uh, with him and I just would love to like go for a workout and just uh, and just hang out and just soak up all the knowledge and all the experiences. He ran the University of Texas system after he retired from the Navy and just just seems like an amazing human being. And uh, I think he'd be a fun one to hang out with. All right. Thank you for filling time for me. That was, that was <laughs> You're awesome. welcome. Uh, so I've never done to... that before. So you owe me a favor. <laughs> I, do. I owe you a lot of favors. So, it's, uh, so I'm just going to keep tallying because he's never catching up. Um, Andrew Huberman then would be one for me. So he's probably my favorite podcast. I listen to neuroscientist, uh, Stanford, um, and talks very focused. I'm getting to the age now where like longevity and optimization is, uh, top of mind. Like, I think that happens for a lot of people as they get toward 50, I'm, I'm in my lower forties, but it's kind of become a, an area of focus for mine. And the way his brain works and the way he interviews is, uh, fascinating to me. Um, and I, that, that is always interesting to me, right? Like it's not just, there's a ton of brilliant people that I don't necessarily think are interesting or the way that their brain works are interesting. And I think he is all of those things brilliant, um, but his brain works in a really interesting way that I'd, I'd like to get to know. Yeah, I know that name. I've never listened to actually any of his podcasts. So I'm gonna have to, um, I'm gonna have to dog ear uh, some of his podcasts to uh, to give a listen because um, I hear him mentioned all the time for sure. I just never, uh, I've never checked any out. Super long form, and like he'll take whatever fitness trend is out there and then get into the neuroscience behind why it's either legit or not legit. It's pretty cool. Interesting. MCUSD soup, S U P E, linked in the show notes. Also, go to PJ's website, just pjcaposi.com. Super easy to remember. He's written like 11 books, speaker, consultant, coach, you name it. PJ's done it. Do you run marathons like me, PJ? No, I lift heavy things instead. <laughs> PJ is in the gym. He's not. He's not on the on the. Um, actually, I've seen some videos of you uh, doing deadlifts on Twitter, man. Uh, dude, it has been it's been way too long. I'm gonna be in Illinois uh, a bunch this year. Um, we'll have to we'll have to connect in person and hang out and catch up because you know what? Back to that question about who you're learning from. I think. I think you know social media has been has been amazing. It's been negative, obviously, for many reasons, but I think there's been way more positives than there has been negatives. But I think you know I'm at a point too in my life, PJ, where I'm taking I'm taking those relationships on a more micro level and just really getting to know people more and spending more time and having deeper conversations, deeper just deeper exchanges with people to learn in a deeper way and not just kind of kind of skim on the surface so thankful for our 10-year twitter relationship or whenever it started you understand what i'm saying yep. but um i think it's an important thing for uh for everybody listening uh pj a huge part of this podcast is just amplifying the voices of my guests i'm just going to pass the microphone over to you man what do you want to say to everybody that listens to this podcast uh well first of all i want to say thank you to you for for the platform and i mean this sincerely like there's been no one that's been more gracious when I've reached out and had needed advice, whether it be on speaking or writing or whatever the, the things have been. So 
a sincere thanks for that. And I think that um, in 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 the circles that we run in, that your name is synonymous with with always being willing to to reach out. So I think that's a it's a master shout to you. And just along those same lines, like whoever's listening to this, just keep taking big swings, right? Like so. When when Adam and I first met, like I had maybe a book out, and you know Adam's turned the country as the the lead keynote for everything, and um, I reached out and and he was super cool. When I after I wrote my first book, I reached out to Todd Whitaker, we wrote a book together. Like like in education specifically, ninety eight percent of the people you're gonna meet are just good people. Um, so go grab a beer, go grab a burger, go grab whatever it is, go grab a run. Every time I talk to Adam, he is like, let's go for a run. <laughs> That's gonna happen. I'll, I'll see you afterwards. Um, but just take take the big swings because the worst thing that's gonna happen is someone doesn't return your DM or your text or whatever it is, then you just know. Um, but don't be afraid to connect because there's brilliant, insightful, thoughtful people. Um, and whatever you're going through, positive or negative, somebody's been there. So don't be afraid to reach out and continue to connect with people. Yeah, I mean, the worst that can happen is you just don't you don't get a response. I was watching, I don't know if you know Mr. Beast. He's like a the most watched YouTuber. And um, he has this whole like beast philanthropy where he, I seemingly he does really good things. And it, it all started with a video in, in his bedroom and he was talking to a camera and it's, it just starts there. You know, my first book started with blogging. Your first book started with an idea and blogging and talking and it, and it just goes there. So whatever you're thinking about, start doing it because today is a great time to try something new. PJ Capozzi, MCUSD Soup. Uh, hey buddy, thanks so much for coming on. Love the conversation. Everybody listening, thank you for all that you do. And I hope that you have an absolutely amazing day.